the positive psychology itself, it's quite easy to understand, in my opinion. However, it's not the understanding that actually makes a difference. It's about applying or application of these positive psychology tools. Hello, and welcome to the Medical Protection Podcast Headliner Series. I'm your host, Dr. Lynn McKinley. In this podcast, I'll be talking with Dr. Albert Chan. Albert is a consultant anaesthetist in the Department of Anesthesia and Intensive Care at the Prince of Wales Hospital in Hong Kong and Honorary Clinical Associate Professor at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. In this podcast, we're going to be speaking about some interesting research that Albert is doing, looking into how to prevent or reverse burnout. Anaesthetists have been identified in the literature as a specialty with high risk of burnout, mental illness and physician suicide. There are some very particular stressors faced by anaesthetists. Albert, you're about to embark on some research to look at what measures are effective to counteract burnout within the specialty of anaesthesia. What's motivated you to undertake this research? Thank you for having me, Lynn. I want to begin by talking about what motivated me to do this kind of research. So I have a personal interest in education, uh, both locally for our Hong Kong College of Anesthesiologists and the Academy of Medicine. And that put me into the realm of understanding how well-being is very important for postgraduate medical education, as well as fellows uh, in our college. So this dates back to 2017, um, when I had a personal experience with a colleague close to mine in the department, who unfortunately tried to take their own life. Um, fortunately, mm-hmm. they survived. But that made me realize that these stressors are not only reported in the news, it can actually happen to someone quite close to us. Yeah. That had a huge impact on me. And because even during that time, personally, I felt the stressors become becoming to accumulate um, through clinical work, through personal lives. Um, and this manifests itself in different ways. The thing that actually was a tipping point for me was in the end of last year, 2021, um, a colleague in another hospital, not my own hospital, actually took their own life. Mm. Um, So that was a wake up call um, for all of us. And we tried to set up officially mechanisms how we can address these issues. Um, be it at the college level or the departmental level, because this is a huge area that has a lot of impact on on us, I think. Yeah, that's incredibly sad and a, a, a real, as you say, a real wake-up call that there's something we need to do differently, right? Yeah, certainly. So we moved in the direction of trying to find out ways that we can help not only ourselves, but our colleagues on how to improve their well-being um, in the workplace. The problem that we had encountered with that, we don't know what works for one, Mm. because there's so many different interventions out there. And second of all, the reality of the fact is that we are busy clinicians. So having the time to go through these, you know, first of all, bring about the awareness and also implementing these measures, I think is challenging yet is important for us to understand. I think it's really critical, isn't it, to work out what works and and you're right, there's a lot of research in this, but it's it's hard to know what will work for busy clinicians who don't have a lot of time to to spend, right? Yes, exactly. So what do you, 
what do you think your own reading and your um, re- research in the literature before you actually decided to apply for uh, some funding to do this research, what, what did you think was going to help doctors to cope with these stresses of professional life? Well, I think the you know premise of all we everything we're doing is is not only because of its impact on our own professional lives, it also has an impact on patient safety. You know, the research that I've come about you know, clearly clearly shows that when physicians aren't taking care of themselves, it impacts their clinical decision making, impacts on how how they build relationships with patients with each other, and ultimately patients may suffer from the consequences of this. So. With that in mind, and also a recent study in our own locality showed that up to 73% of young doctors are experiencing burnouts. So we have to put a plug on this and help us move forward. Um, and and which is why, you know, this research has propelled me to move in this direction. So Albert, can I just check, was that 73% of doctors in Hong Kong, young doctors? Uh, well, young doctors in this survey. So we can... Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a uh, quite a big number, I think, um, and I think COVID, the COVID pandemic has just exacerbated this and made this even worse. Well, and the reason I picked our specialty, obviously, because I'm working in it. But as you mentioned, anesthesiologists or anesthetists, depending where you are, have been known in the literature for um, high burnout rates compared to other specialties and also suicide rates. So I think this is a probably an area that you know a profession that will have high yield if we can implement successful measures um in Mm. in this this regard you i understand you're just starting out on this research can you tell us a little bit about you know tell your listeners a little bit about what methods you think will likely to yield the results that you're looking for during my literature review i found out there have been reported multiple you know numerous ways where People try to combat physician burnout, be it, you know, group therapy, mindfulness exercises, gratitude giving. But the challenge, I think, is that, you know, what actually works and how we can make it happen. One one particular aspect that I found was interesting was the idea of positive psychology and how they may, it may help combat physician burnouts. So for those of you who don't know what positive psychology is, it is actually a scientific study of character strengths, positive relationships, and life purpose that enable individuals and communities to thrive and live meaningful lives. So I think it was an idea that was made popular by Martin Seligman, and it consists of six aspects. You know, it's called PERMA, P-E-R-M-A-H, with each letter signifying a different aspect. So P stands for positive emotions, E stands for engagement, R stands for relationships, M stands for meaning, A stands for accomplishment, and H at the end stands for health. And it's a combination of these kind of positive attributes that help one thrive. There has been plenty of studies of positive psychology and non-clinical or non-physician population and shows the efficacy in reducing burnout and enhancing resilience. And on and off, there has been also some studies, although not randomized controlled or um, anecdotal studies, 
reports that of its efficacy in physicians, but I find that perhaps this is something that is worthwhile to look into uh, amongst our population. I think that sounds really interesting, Albert. I certainly from my reading, you know, I know that there is some good evidence for the effectiveness of mindfulness. Um, but as you've said, that hasn't necessarily been figured out how to do that for our physician population, you know, because doctors may not have the time to, to do the training or to practice, etc. I believe you might be looking at some technological uh, solutions to help make this, I guess, more achievable by doctors. Yes, you're exactly right. You know, the most common thing I, I hear when I talk to, you know, my fellow colleagues is, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. But, you know, in my mind, I think these are being able to work better when you address your, you know, positive psychology issues, when you are more, you know, mentally equipped to handle the stresses of work then you will be able to manage your daily living, your time better. You know, that's just my own personal philosophy. So mm. you're right. So I think um, what I'm trying to look into is how, you know, web-based applications can help us move in this direction. And in the field of clinical psychology, there has actually been implementation of such um, um, web-based applications. You know, for example, um, in self-compassion training, mindfulness training, and cognitive behavioral psychoeducation and has been shown to be effective. So, which made me um, kind of a light bulb bulbs up that, you know, physicians are e uh, equally or not even more busy than, you know, the normal population. And mm. there has to be a way for us to be able to access these interventions per se, you know, I would say interventions at a more easier level. On one hand, I understand that physicians, well, at least in our culture, are worried about stigmatization. So having web-based applications, as, which is rather anonymous, may help them be more aware of you know, what their limitations are, how these things are important in their lives, and also apply some of the tools that we have um, proposed for them. That's for one. And the second thing is that the accessibility makes it more easy um, than having, you know, perhaps one day workshops, two day workshops, uh, a sequence of workshops, which is, you know, which has been shown to be effective, but also quite time consuming. Um, so hopefully using an integration of these methods, we can try to help doctors not only be aware, but also to apply these interventions in their daily lives. So it sounds like what you're suggesting is that if you had something on your phone that you could use to practice your positive psychology intervention, uh, that would be both convenient but also discreet in terms of people not feeling that they were doing something, you know, outside the realms of what of what they would normally do or, you know, allow them to sort of have it just in time as it were as well because it would be right there in your hand, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And so the way we're thinking that what we're going to do, uh, well, actually just plan for the research is, um, if, you, if I may speak a little bit to it. Yeah, so, we'd love to hear a little bit about it. Great. The thing about, you know, positive psychology interventions is that the positive psychology itself, it's quite easy to understand, in my opinion. So, you know, being engaged in your work, having meaningful relationships and making meaning of what you do will actually help you, you know, have a better um, well-being and resilience 
However, it's not the understanding that actually makes a difference. It's about applying or application of these positive psychology tools. So the idea is that through an app-based or web-based uh, platform, the, those who are undergoing our program will get these prompts. Prompts, daily prompts are simple prompts. For example, Lynn, would you like to give thanks to one person at your workplace today? So simple interventions like that and ask them to reflect upon that, I think um, is the aim of what we're going to do. That's a great one because certainly gratitude is one of those positive psychology interventions that's got a pretty good evidence base, isn't it? Exactly. But so we don't always do you... think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so that's one thing. So it's a series of interventions. Of course, gratitude is just one of them. Um, mm. It's also about you know thinking about the meaning of what you work on. And I think the most important part out of all of this is the reflection that we hopefully that the participants can bring about on their lives and how to further improve. And by saying that, we hopefully through our intervention can also build community, a community of practice where we all share a common language in these positive psychology or well-being measures such that we can all help each other in the future as we move along and trying to improve mm. our well-being. That sounds like a really powerful intervention that you've designed there. And I really like this idea of a community of practice and sharing a common language. I'm aware, Albert, that you've got a lot of experience and expertise in, in simulation training. Do you think there are some similarities between what you're trying to do here? Because, you know, the, this in, in, sim, in sim, you often have to uh, kind of get everybody on the same page and, and you know, had to have briefing and the debriefing, et cetera. So is there something, you think there's any any similarities there? Oh, Lynn, I have, actually haven't thought of this before, but that's a very interesting question. And I think there are some similarities. I think one thing that is very important in simulation-based education is the idea of psychological safety. Mm -hmm. So I think... Without being psychologically safe, it's not easy for us to share what we're thinking, to be, you know, to acknowledge our own limitations or difficulties that we're facing. So I think having this kind of community, having this platform for everyone to feel psychologically safe and share their own feelings and reflections is important. Mm -hmm. And also what you mentioned about the idea of debriefing. So having the experience um, of you know, these positive psychology interventions is important, but it, we also have to have a way for them to share what they've learned through community sharing, through debriefing, um, through talking with each other on an online platform, if they're willing to, of course, it's not forced upon them, mm. that they can further, if they have some abstract concepts in mind, they can actually reflect upon that and put that into practice. I think that's a great analogy um, and thanks for helping me make that connection. <laughs> well, yeah, I think one of the things that I have seen in my own workplace and amongst my colleagues is that, you know, even if we w did have the time to undertake self-care activities, whatever they were, whether that was mindfulness practice or gratitude or the other positive psychology or even things like having a meal break and, you know, having breaks from, from work, et cetera. Even, even if we have the time to do those things, sometimes there are cultural barriers to overcome. And when I'm talking about culture, I'm talking about the culture of our workplace, 
and the fact that we have to be all, you know, busy, busy all the time and, you know, working really hard and working harder than everyone else, et cetera. I think a lot of our colleagues in medicine find it really difficult to put their own needs first and to invest in their own well-being. I think you've also you've already kind of um, pointed out that using an app which is discreet and convenient and kind of can remind you to do stuff will be one step. Do you think there are other things that need to change in in order for doctors to actually prioritize their own well-being? Well, well, Lynn, I think there are definitely a lot of other things that need to be changed. A lot of this has to be in the organizational level, I think. You know, what we're trying to um, implement here, of course, is uh, individual awareness level, which is also very important. But also the organization has to be aware of what the problems are, what the challenges that, you know, doctors are facing and be able to have measures in place that can facilitate them to have this kind of reflection um, and also um, help them build, you know, kind of a level of support for them in, when they're mm. dealt, um, I mean, with that with a tough hand, if, if I may say. So hopefully what I'm doing, what we're doing here, not what I'm doing, what we're doing here is that having these kind of exercises that you know, participants or doctors can apply to the workplace. We hopefully we're not only targeting, you know, junior doctors, but also senior doctors, such that we can make an organizational culture change that, okay, these are the things that we can do to help each other, to build each other, build support for each other. Mm. And ultimately, when it becomes pervasive, then the culture change will only help doctors improve the whole well-being as a whole within the whole organization, not just individual doctors. I think it's probably uh, true to say that if the senior doctors don't do it or don't support it, then the junior doctors are not going to, are they? You know, that they won't necessarily swim against the tide in that way, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. Well, not to blame the you know, senior doctors per se, but they probably never had the awareness of this um, no. in the past. Um, which is actually interesting because in our college, we actually recently ran a workshop at one of our annual scientific meetings. And there were both senior and junior doctors um, within the cohort of the workshop. And actually the senior doctors, you know, when we talked about positive psychology, they were, wow, we didn't realize that you know, throughout our training, throughout our practice, we have had been experiencing these kind of stressors at work. And certainly maybe some of these you know, interventions may actually help. So. It was a, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, heartwarming to see that even senior doctors feel that, oh, maybe this is something that is important, but just hasn't been addressed. And and I think what I know, and I'm, I'm sure you do as well, of, of our colleagues is that we want to be persuaded by evidence. We want to be persuaded by science. Uh, we don't want to just read something that sounds, uh, you know, like warm and fuzzy. We want the hard facts, right? <laughs> So I think your research is really going to contribute to that uh, to that evidence. Exactly, and that's uh, my hope that we can actually show something that works for for our you know physician population. So your research is focused or targeted to anaesthetist. Do you think your results will be able to be translated to other specialties? Well, I definitely hope so, and that's also the aim. Um, yeah. Well, there are some there, special stresses that anaesthetists face, though, aren't they? You know, catastrophic things that can happen under. Yeah. So, Lynn, you are re absolutely right about you know some of the stressors that 
anesthetists or anesthesiologists experience on a day-to-day basis, you know, especially in a tertiary hospital where I work at, you often, we often have to manage high-risk surgical patients um, who are frail, complex surgeries. And we have to be, you know, it's the nature of us to be constantly vigilant to avoid Mm. things happening. But when actually things happen, you know, we have kind of have this negativity bias and think that, oh, I wish I could have done this better. And we tend to dwell on past mistakes as such. So actually a study actually showed that more than 80% of anesthesiologists have at least one, you know, kind of critical catastrophic event happening under the care. And this always have, this seems to have a huge impact on, you know, clinicians, um, you know, even if they decide to stay on because of the stresses they have to experience. So, you know, this is something that is unique to a specialty, but again, back to your question, I, I, I think, and hope that, you know, or evidence or even evidence by the the local survey that up to 73% of young doctors in Hong Kong may experience burnout. And this is across specialties. So this is not just about us. And so burnout obviously is an issue that is not limited to anesthesiologists or anesthetists. So one thing that hopefully these interventions will also apply to other um, specialties. I know that surgeons at my institution are also burnt out. They work quite hard. Um, they have long working hours as well. And, you know, if we have an intervention that is easily accessible, as I mentioned, and help change or build a culture um, of recognizing these issues, I believe that will also apply to other um, specialties as well. Well, I hope I hope so as well. One of the things you just said, uh, and I, I'm I'm just going to check if I heard correctly, because it um, it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me as well. You said that anaesthetists, by the nature of the work you do, have to be hyper vigilant, have a bias towards looking for things that are wrong, looking for the negatives, um, and also tend to be fairly self-critical. Are that was that what you said? Did I hear you correctly? Yes, exactly. The hypervigilance is interesting. Uh, you said that anaesthetists need to be hypervigilant. That's part of being an effective anaesthetist, you know, watching, looking out for things that are going wrong. I wonder if that hypervigilance itself has an impact on on burnout. Well, I, I believe so, um, partly because, well, we don't really put ourselves at rest, you know, throughout the work. You may see, think that, you know, anesthesiologists or anesthetists sit in the operating theater, just looking at monitor or spacing out. But a majority of us, if, if I may say not all of us, are constantly thinking about this change in the vital sign. What does it mean? You know, what are the surgeons doing? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that's going wrong with the patient? Mm-hmm. Um, or is there something that may go wrong with the patient if we don't do something immediately about it? So, you know, constantly we're bombarded with stress and when something happens, it just surges our adrenaline even more. Um, so, you know, this, this is my perspective. I might be biased because I'm in the profession, but. Um, um, no, I think, I think it's what... a really, it's an interesting thought that, that, that kind of constant, I guess, alertness and having the adrenaline switched on. Um, might be something that's important. In your research, uh, so you mentioned before that it's a common experience of anaesthetists to experience or to be confronted with a, a catastrophic event. Uh, is there any part of your research that actually kind of tracks 
you know, what to do after such an event um, or or how to help people kind of respond to those acute stressors? Yeah, so so we're in our in our research in our intervention group, we are going to have five modules. So each module will target at specific aspects of well-being as well as implementing positive psychology measures. So the first one where we targeted is how to establish rapport and conflict management in the workplace, which seems to be a common theme, not only for anesthesiologists. We work with multidisciplinary teams inside the operating theater, nurses, you know, um, doctors, allied health staff. So this is an important and seniors and juniors. And, you know, there are a lot of there may be potentially conflict in the workplace. Second is how we can find meaning and accomplishment in the workplace. Obviously, despite our busy workload, hopefully these are the things that can keep us motivated, drive us, and we have some specific tools with that. The third one is exactly what we're talking about here, is how to thrive in the face of adversity or adverse clinical events. Is these things, it will inevitably happen. How can we use positive psychology to kind of navigate through these difficult and challenging times? Fourth of all is how to maintain engagement and positivity at the workplace and finally is how to sustain these practices through awareness mindfulness gratitude things that we can keep this you know positive psychology throughout our workplace even beyond the 10-week module that we have wow obviously done a lot of research yourself a lot of reading you've you've come up with this model of the the five uh parts of this you're going to focus on one of the things that our um, listeners often often like is is if there is some I guess simple tip or some personal recommendation that you might be able to make I'm wondering in all of the reading you've done etc have you tried a few things yourself and is there something you think that's a bit of a I don't know a high value kind of thing that that you're you're, that you're recommending to your colleagues that you might recommend to our, our listeners? So I don't think there's one specific thing that works for me. I think that's that's the, just kind of about positive psychology. It's not just one thing. One thing may mean more for one person and one thing may mean more for another person. I mean, one aspect of, of the PERMA or positive psychology. For me, I think few things actually help me the most. One is the reflective piece. So able to reflect on, you know, what and appreciate what you have. A lot of people focus on the things that they don't have. The other person gets off work on time earlier than me, et cetera, et cetera. But not so often we focus on the things we actually have and appreciate them like our colleagues, the meaningfulness of our work, the patients we're saving, we're helping. I think that's one thing that helped me. The second thing that really helps me is try to foster and maintain meaningful relationships. It, it has been particularly hard in COVID, honestly, because we lack social meetings. We don't have these gatherings with our colleagues or you know, friends anymore. But at the workplace, having these kind of meaningful relationships, it could be just a mentoring you know, relationship um, or a peer support relationship. But having and cherishing these relationships, giving a helping hand when they need, when, they, when they're faced with a crisis or critical situation, go give them a hand. That actually helps me personally to feel better, um, not only about myself, but about you know, how things are going. 
I think the last thing that's very important that we near, really don't do enough is, at least in our culture, is show gratitude. It's not just like simple, thank you for doing, but be specific. Thank you for doing what? Thank you for helping me save the patient. I think having these kind of tools has actually helped me personally. And of course, finally, is maintaining your health. I personally love sports, um, swimming. I've recently taken up wake surfing. Um, and engaging in these activities, be it how busy, spend one day a week or a half an hour in the morning to do some exercise actually has helped me a lot. That's really helpful to hear about, about your own personal insights from you know, what you've taken away from the literature and what you're actually trying and reflection and relationships and, and gratitude. And it's, it's true. I think what you said about when I help someone else, that actually makes me feel good. That actually gives me a well-being boost, doesn't it? Um, and then looking after our health and particularly, you know, how moving our bodies, how that can help to restore um, our well-being. It sounds like a fascinating project that you're undertaking. I really like the fact that you're bringing quite a bit of specificity to it to actually help your population of peers, which is the anaesthetists, with the very uh, specific and, you know, difficult challenges that are faced by anaesthetists um, very commonly. Um, but hopefully, as you say, those um, learnings will also apply to other specialties and can share that with your other um, medical colleagues in Hong Kong and indeed around the world. I think it's been really wonderful to hear about this research and actually hopefully we might be able to come back in a little while next year or whenever the research is done and, and, and hear, how, hear what you've achieved and, and maybe learn some more about what's going to actually help um, because for sure burnout is a huge problem being faced around the world and I think everything has been exacerbated by the pandemic um, including those impacts on our well-being. So, look, thank you so much for your time this evening uh, to share with us uh, your your research and your your personal insights. Thank you for having me, and I think um, you know having this opportunity to promulgate the importance of our you know our well-being and avoiding burnouts or combating burnout is a great opportunity. And with that, we reach the end of today's podcast. And we've heard about how positive psychology and technology might be used together to improve well-being for anaesthetists and for other specialists. If you're a member of Medical Protection Society and want to learn more, please take a look in the podcast description for further information and an opportunity to join us for our next virtual workshop on beating burnout. If you're new to podcasts, maybe listening for the first time, make sure you subscribe to the channel to make listening in the future easier. You can access this podcast from all the major apps, including Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify. For more information about medical protection, or if you're already a member and would like a certificate for listening today, please look for details in the description. I've been your host, Lynn McKinley.